0: The two walls of solid glass, the beige suede and chrome sofas, the white grand piano. No books or magazines, no litter, no family photos. Cold. No draperies for the windows. At night they would be huge black voids out into space. She looked him in the eye and took a chance. Handsome, but I sure wouldn't feel comfortable pulling off my boots and reading the sports pages in here. Where's the room you live in? She was rewarded by a head-thrown-back laugh, a deep male whiskey and sex sound that reminded her of bar rooms and hunting camps and visiting oil rigs with her daddy all those years ago. Richard said you were a pistol. Richard's no slouch himself, she replied, getting more curious by the minute to find out what this man wanted from her. Whatever it was, she knew he would trot out all the big guns in his arsenal, including his relationship with her boss, to get it. This made her uneasy because Richard Dutton, the editor of Lone Star Monthly, was one of the few people in the world who had any power over her. Charlie McFarland reached out and touched her elbow. "'Let's go back to my office and talk, Miss Kate," As he led the way, she was surprised to see how slowly and painfully he walked. His pace was a slow shuffle, and he held his back ramrod stiff.' She followed him along a hallway that was a picture gallery with paintings hung only inches apart, all landscapes, Texas blue-bonnet scenes mostly. Molly liked blue-bonnets as well as the next person, but God, she was sick of all those murky pictures of the damn things everywhere she went, one of the curses of being a Texan. He stood aside at the open door at the end of the hall. When she entered, she couldn't help smiling with satisfaction. It was exactly the room she would have predicted for a West Texas good old boy who'd made it big-a large, dark paneled study with a ten point buck's head over the stone fireplace, and a buck's rump over the door. A gun cabinet with a beveled glass door stood to the right of the fireplace. One wall was packed with built in electronic equipment-stereo, large screen TV, VCR, and other gadgets. On the desk sat an IBM computer with a 21-inch color monitor that she coveted on sight. It was big enough so you could see two full pages of 14-point type side by side. The window out to the view was covered with tightly closed mini-blinds. How delightful, Molly thought, to be so rich that you could pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for the best view in Central Texas and then keep it covered. He walked to a worn Naugahyde recliner, turned, and grabbed the arm so he could lower himself into it. With a movement of his head, he directed her to an armchair slip-covered in a hunting print. Molly was glad to see that the new wife who decorated the living room had not been allowed to make a statement in here. She sat down and was about to cross her legs when she paused, feeling a flush of heat radiate from her neck into her face. On an end table next to his chair lay a copy of her book sweating blood. It was open at about the middle, the gaudy orange and red cover facing up. Somehow she had never considered the possibility of this man reading it, and for just a moment, here in his house, the cover struck her as so tasteless, so sensational and tawdry that she felt a hot blush prickling her cheeks, a reaction she could not remember ever having in her many years of being a crime writer who often violated the rules of good taste.' From the minute her publisher had first showed her the cover art, she had loved it, because it was so attention-grabbing. The painting depicted a lonely stretch of highway with a woman's body lying in a ditch alongside. From the body, blood flowed and surrounded the entire cover, front and back, with a shiny, vivid red. She had recognized immediately that it would sell books. It was commercial, yes, sensational even. But that was the nature of true crime books, and she wasn't going to apologize for it. Certainly when she was writing it, she had wrestled with the problem inherent in writing a book for entertainment which was based on other people's private disasters, and here was a man who'd been personally devastated by the violence she'd carefully researched and portrayed. From the place the book was open, she figured he must have already read that vividly detailed scene of his first wife's murder, and the cold description of the act Louis Bronck had given in his confession to the police, and again when she'd interviewed him in prison— Eleven years had passed since the murder, true, and MacFarland had heard it all rehashed at the trial. But seeing it in print, dramatized, was a different matter. It had to be damned painful for him to read. She forced her eyes away from the book and finally finished crying.